So this morning, we're going to hear from um, Larry and Beth Smith and Cindy Warner. If you guys will come on up. And they're going to share about their trip to Kenya uh, this past November. So I'll let you guys Thank you all for uh, giving us this time to share. We are uh, very appreciative of it. And I want to just start off, first of all, by just thanking everyone for the prayer and for the support that they've given us. Um, it's, it is actually humbling to me, it's humbling to us, I believe, uh, to be able to serve uh, in going uh, to Kenya. It was our third trip there for Beth and I and second for Cindy, but just the opportunity to be able to be uh, representatives from our church here in Alaska. Um, if you think about where Kenya is, you can find it on a map, but really it's somewhere probably about over there, right? <laughs> it's 12 time zones away from us right now, and it's further south, it's on the equator, so a long ways away. Um, but I really, I really do thank you all for being supportive to us, um, and it's meant a lot to us uh, being a part of the fellowship and the church family here over the years. Um, one of the things that really touched our hearts when we first visited here and started attending um, is, is that we really f- have felt the love that people have for each other and the heart for ministering to each other in the, in the, the church family, but in the community and, uh, and beyond. I know that's been a common theme that we've talked about here, but it really has meant a lot uh, to us. Um, so there's a common thing, and I guess if you're, if you're young, if you're in school, um, you might want to pay attention. So this is something we learned, I learned a long time ago, um, about speaking or about writing essays. So it's really common to say, you're going to tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. So that's your, that's your outline for an essay or for, uh, for speaking. Have you guys heard that before ever? Something along those lines? Nah, maybe not. All right. Well, we don't always follow the rules, right? So today I'm going to tell you just a little bit about what I'm not, what we're not going to tell you. Um, so uh, we're not going to show you pictures of animals and safaris, and we're not going to talk about all the food and people getting sick on the team or how the travel is, how it is to, to take long, long flights. We're not going to go about talking a lot about the traffic driving on the wrong side of the road and, and close misses and things on the highway, um, about the struggles and inconveniences of, of being in a, in a foreign place. What I really want us to share this morning is about uh, the heart, the hearts of people in Africa that we have been touched by um, and that we've been able to work with, as well as, uh, as how God is working in our hearts and speaking to us. So that's what I, I'm hoping we can share a little bit about today. So what we're going to do uh, is have Cindy's going to share for a little bit, and then Beth will share, and then I'll share too at the end. And we have some slides that are going to run in the background, so enjoy them, but don't be distracted to the point of not listening, because we really do want you uh, to hear uh, these stories and just a few select stories and things, again, about uh, how God is at work. So, again, thanks for your attention. Randy and I went last year to Kenya, and 
um, he had heard it during the service one day and said, hey, you want to go? And I said, yeah, sure, let's, let's try that. When I came back from Kenya last year, I was very overwhelmed at the poverty. I have been to Mexico many times, and going to Kenya was something um, at a whole different level, where a whole whole city just full of poverty, and, and it just really impacted me. But yet, I know of the hope of the God that I serve. And I knew God was going to do something after our trip last year. And the highlight of my trip, and I shared it last year, was visiting with the street boys. And um, I had taken um, spec scans of brain images of substance abuse, and I told them what they were doing to their brains by huffing a lot of the... um, Many of the street kids huff because that's the easiest form of substance um, that they can, uh, a a substance that they can get um, as opposed to um, other narcotics. So going back this time, I had been praying for them all year long, and I'm just thinking, Lord, what have you done? What have you done? What have you done? I know there's got to be something, and, and it seems so hopeless. But we went back this year, and we spoke with one of the ladies at the church. She was actually at a pastor's house, and we had spoken to the street boys. And Beth was there, and Hannah, who Don Pierre, who's not here anymore. But at any rate, she says, you wouldn't believe. She said, two of the boys have been totally transformed. And Beth and I, when we heard this, we just cried. <laughs> we couldn't even imagine. And she told us about this, and I said, we need to meet them. We need to see them again. Well, last year we were in a very... Um, We were in one of the pastor's homes, and so it was very protective, and we only had 24 street boys that came. This year, (laughs) we were going to meet in a little hole-in-the-wall restaurant, and the pastor said, well, only 24 boys are going to be there. And I'm thinking, yeah, on the streets of Daggeretti, only 24 people are going to come. So Beth and I go with with one of the drivers, and we meet the, the pastor and this um, woman at the place, at the hole-in-wall restaurant, where it was packed. There was no lights. The space was just very, very small, enough for two tables and one person to walk in between. A um, lot of yelling, loud talking. Um, and, and as you can imagine, all the young men that are in this place are high. <laughs> so they're eating and their food is being brought out to them and stuff. And we try to talk, but of course we can't really talk. But they start to recognize Beth and I. They start to remember us from last year. And I'm saying to Sarah, our translator, where's the young man? Where are the young men that were transformed? And she brings this young, one man, young man over. What I didn't realize was last year when we had gone, he was the one that sat in the corner and chastised us and said, you're Americans, what did you bring us? What money are you going to give us? And he's high, and he's one of the oldest young men there. But when I was quoting scripture, he interrupted me, finished the scripture, and told me where it was in in the Bible. He did that. He was one of the most impaired. The second most impaired, which was another older young man, did the same thing to me. So when I left last year, I'm thinking, Lord, I don't understand this. Your word is in their heart. They know this even in their, 
in their uh, altered minds. They know your, your word and where to, where to find it in scripture. I don't get how this works. So when I came back, I see this young man. And he tells me his name. I didn't know his name last year. His name is Wamba. And I don't know if you guys have had any experience with people coming out of recovery, but their eyes are clean and they've got this smile on their face. And all he kept telling me over and over and over is, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I said, what happened? What happened? How did you come out of that? And Sarah had already told us the reason these two young men were in recovery is because of those spec scans that they saw. They wanted to change their life, but they had no way to do it. So what happened, Wamba tells me the story. Not once, not twice, but three times he tells me the story. He was drunk, and he was high, and he was on the streets of Nairobi. And he was wandering around aimlessly, didn't know where he was. Somebody came to him and said, do you want to change your life? Do you want something different? And he said, yeah. He said, yeah, I do. So they took him. And they thought, and he thought they were taking him to jail. And he kept thinking to himself, he kept saying, what did I do wrong? I don't understand what I did wrong. They're taking me to jail. Salvation Army, they took him to a rehab center. What are the chances of that? One young man out of millions of people in Nairobi on the streets being taken to rehab center to get cleaned up because he had desired it, but he couldn't do it on his own. God's faithfulness. The other young man, the older one, that also quoted uh, quoted scripture to us, he had been hit by a car and was um, very visibly, he had a traumatic brain injury and he was shaking. He couldn't really talk to us, but yet you could see that there was a difference. And then there was actually a third young man that the pastor brought to us and, and said, here's another young man that is in recovery. So we, so fast, going back to the story of the restaurant. So anyhow, Wamba just kept telling me over and over, I'm so happy, I'm so happy, I'm so happy. That's all he kept saying. But he also recognized who was his Savior. He also recognized who was the person that brought that salvation to him. And that was our Lord Jesus Christ. So we feed these 24 people, these 24 kids, and milk going all over the place, and soup, and, and food back and forth, and spoon, tablespoons full of sugar, and a little bitty cup. And then those 24 kids come out, and they got like a bouncer out the door. They let 24 other kids came in. We ended up feeding 75 people at that, at, at that time, and, but we left before they were all fed. We also brought Bibles. Um, I only had 30 New Testament Bibles. We actually took 200 to Kenya. No, we took 400 to Kenya. But because they were so heavy and uh, we couldn't get any in Swahili, and one of the pastors said, well, they don't speak English. I said, I don't care. It's still the word of God. Something will happen. So we took those 30 Bibles in, and only the first group of people got those Bibles. And, and, And as we went, as I went around and talked to them, and I'm talking to these kids, and I'm saying, honey, are you still huffing? You know, are you, are, you, are, you, are you sniffing glue? And they'd go, no. And they'd put their eyes down. And, you know, and I'd talk to them a little bit more. And, they'd, and I'd say, you've got to quit huffing, but I'm not huffing. And they'd put their eyes down again. And I said, I want you to look in my eyes and tell me you're not huffing. And they couldn't do that. They couldn't lie. And so they had these Bibles, and they were so excited. And I don't know what God's going to do with that, but I know he will do something. You know, and those two boys that are healed 
and recovery, I know that's going to that's going to go on, and and the Lord is going to do something with that. So again, that was that was one of my highlights. You want me to keep going? I'll do this next one real fast. So last year, Randy and I went and we talked um, and we prayed with people. We did um, prayer ministry. They would come in through triage and after triage, before they saw the doctors, Randy and I would pray with them. So this year, and after we prayed last year, a lot of knee, as you can imagine, knee, shoulders, back aches. So this year we we thought we need a physical therapist. We didn't have a physical therapist, so I said, I'll volunteer. I can do that. Give me a piece of paper. I've been injured enough through my life that I can figure this out. So we had different, um, we went to a couple of the uh, physical therapy places here in town, and I had some handouts and stuff. So when they came through triage and they had any kind of aches, they had to come and see me. Well, if you can imagine this, never knowing about stretching or if you had an injury, you just leave it. If you can imagine that, that's exactly what I walked into. People could not understand how I knew where they were hurting. And when I gave them an exercise to do, and get a load of this. So I had a low table. I put a towel on top of it because most of them were dirty. And I demonstrated the exercises on my back. And then I had them, the ones that were standing up, I demonstrated some exercises too. But they could not understand how I could know where they were hurting. They had no idea about stretching, about exercising at all. And it was so wonderful to get five women up in a wall, having their arms pressed against, a, or in a room, having their arms pressed up against the wall and showing them how to do lower back exercises. And they were going, oh, oh, oh. And I heard that over and over and over again. People were just amazed. Oh, how do you feel? And we're just in there five, ten minutes. How do you feel? Oh, this feels great. This feels wonderful. One lady, and then I was also doing some massages, and she had, it was an elderly lady, and she came into um, the first clinic that we had, and she heard about these physical air exercises, but somehow it got to her as the massage. And so she was sitting, I saw her sitting in this chair for hours, and but I was also helping the pharmacy whenever I, I didn't have somebody at, uh, waiting for me for, to do physical therapy. And so, um, and she came to see me, but she hadn't seen the doctor, or she hadn't seen the eye doctor yet, and I said, I said, you, you need to go see the doctor first, you need to go get to, you know, get your glasses, and then you come back and see me. She was the very last woman that came, and I was talking to a young man at the time, and he looks at, and he talks to her, and, he, and I look at her, and I said, what is she waiting for? She would like her massage. <laughs> we were already closing down and everything, I said, bring her over, I'll give her a massage. <laughs> So anyway, that was a really wonderful thing. Um, and what was the other thing I was going to do? So the physical therapy was really, really needed. And again, with that, I know that the Lord is going to do something with that. There, there were several teachers that were my translators, and I kept telling them over and over and over again, you need to teach these to your family members. You need to teach these to your friends. Use that our teachers. Teach them to your students. And so I know that next year the Lord's going to do something with that. And so one fun thing that we did, there's my last story that I'm going to tell. Um, there were there six of us ladies, we were out for a walk before we went, actually, and um, we were going on excursion somewhere. I don't know where we were going. So anyway, we needed to be back at the bus at a certain time. I didn't know what time it was. Beth obviously did. So we were walking through this campus. We were staying at uh, African International University, and there was this compound with all these... Um, um, apartment units around and there was this open, open compound in the middle and as we were walking by as six westerners 
Um, there was a bench with with boys on one side and a bench with girls on the other side. And they were kind of singing to each other back and forth. So the boys would all sing a song, and then the girls would all sing a song back to them. And we're walking by, and I'm going, hey, there's an empty bench there. Come on, you guys, let's go. So we all went and sat down, and we waited till they got done singing. And we just sat there quietly, and we didn't say anything. We waited till they were done, and then we started singing a song. And then we're rocking in unison, and they're just kind of staring at us. And so we got done, and then the boys picked up, and then the girls picked up. And so we were doing this round robin, but each bench was singing. And then we stood up all together in a group, and we stood in a circle, and we were doing some kind of song and we were marching around in a circle and people from the compound were looking out the windows and other people were sending their kids out the door and we had there was there was almost 50 of us that were around this circle and it was just such a pleasure just to be spontaneous in that in that regard and uh just to join in in what they were doing and anyway um got lots of stories but lots of god moments and God's faithfulness, his faithfulness is just so wonderful, and uh, we were just so, so very thankful to be part of that and to share in what he's doing in Kenya. Good morning. So why go across the world? Why go across town? Why go across our neighborhood? Why go across this church room? Why reach out to others? And God laid this on my heart. God created us to know that he loves us. God created us to know that he loves us. Many things intercept our ability to welcome or receive God's love, but that does not alter the fact that he created us to know that he loves us. And he also created us to love others and to fellowship with others. In a fallen world, Jesus Christ was a reassurance of God's love. John 3, 16 through 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And John 17, 23. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He's given us this new command to love one another. Just to love one another. And in that, we seek fellowship with others. At one of our clinics, of the six clinics, we were at a public school in Nakuru, and the local Lions Club was our sponsor. They are almost entirely Hindu-Sikh. They've invited us to come back every year. They knew we would pray with our patients, every single one, if we could. We had at least a handful of people come to Jesus Christ in that clinic that day. And then there were all the physical ailments in a very poor public school. These children were poor. 
They had the uniforms, but the uniforms were full of stains and rips. They were just poor, and the headmaster took the toothbrushes because she said she knew which ones needed it most among the couple thousand children at the school. And they just packed those children in there. Praise God. I've never had an invitation from a Hindu Sikh group to come worship in the name of Jesus Christ as their partners. How cool is that? (laughs) And then uh, there is the Maasai Church. David and Josephine are the pastors. All the pastors in Kenya make no income off their church. They all are bivocational, work their jobs, and then they spare everything they can to take care of their congregations. These are poor congregations. Um, In the Maasai Rift Valley, children walk 5, 10, 20 miles one way to get to school. This means that little children cannot walk that far. It's not safe. They can't do it. They don't start school till they're 8 or 9 years of age. Larry treated a hyena injury to a girl. Um, We encountered child marriage on our trip. In the Maasai people, for example, they get a bride price of cattle at age 13 for marrying their daughters, often as second wives. It was painful to see 13-year-old girls married, 14-year-olds with babies having physical problems. Their childhood was gone. Um, The Maasai pastors are convinced that If they can start a preschool, meaning for ages 5 to 8 or 9, right there at the Covenant Church site, the girls will have four more years of education, a total of eight years before they get married at age 13 instead of four years. They believe that that's a huge, huge difference in these girls' lives. They're less likely to get married early. They're more likely to have some job skills if they're abandoned as second wives or third wives. So that was an exciting thing at the Maasai Church. We went over for hours plans for a clinic, for HIV testing and other basic needs, and for a preschool. And these pastors love their people. Simon Akinagala loves his all Congolese refugee population and his congregation. They love their people. When their people suffer, they suffer. We are told. There are good things happening there. The doors are wide open. There's a vision trip among the Covenant Churches of Colorado, California, and Alaska planned with uh, the Covenant headquarters full encouragement in September. We're invited, anyone from here who wants to do that for two weeks. The team will go out in November, again, the medical team, and that's just a platform to reach people for Jesus Christ. And to help people. Um, Everybody is welcome. You don't have to be somebody who dreamed of going outside your neighborhood. Just be somebody that the Holy Spirit is calling to do this. Even if you've never done anything like this before. Thank you. So once again, I I feel humbled, actually, from listening to Beth and Cindy. Um, These are two of our team members um, that God has used in in wonderful ways. And I have to really have a little bit of honesty here this morning about some things, and that's that, uh, you know, very, very blessed 
uh, in how God pulls the team together uh, from people from various locations. And, and we have different people each year, but it's always just amazing how God pulls it together um, way beyond what we're able to. So for those of you who don't know, um, I work as a physician. And so some of the work that we're doing in Kenya is medical work, and there, there's some dental work and vision and counseling physiotherapy, as they say in Kenya, rather than physical therapy. Um, there's counseling, many different things, many different aspects. But when I was a child, um, I would hear stories from missionaries and think, wow, that's so awesome. You know, that'd be neat to do. And, you know, wow, what, what kind of training do you need to do? And then I went off to college and I thought, wow, that would really be neat, you know. And, but what are you going to do, you know? So eventually it came to, well, I could become a doctor and then, and then go serve. Um, and I, and I, and when I was younger, I felt like I just didn't, you know, didn't have, you know, a skill set or have something to share or to give. And, and now as a doctor, I'm surrounded by people who listen better. They, they feel the heart of people better. They can see through things and touch lives. And so it's humbling now. Now I can say, Hey, I'm a doctor. I'm only a doctor. (laughs) How can I do this? You know? And, um, it is. It's actually, uh, it's humbling, but at the same time, I think the real message is that God equips all of us um, where we are. So, you know, whether it's going overseas or, like you say, across the street um, or the person next to you, um, we all are equipped uh, to, to love and to give and to serve. And praise God for that, that God... Um, is willing to use us. Um, the as you've heard a little bit, we've been working primarily with with the covenant churches in Kenya, not exclusively, but um, some of the covenant churches there. Uh, the overarching group that's been going there for about ten years is called Kenya uh, Project Hope. Uh, the plan is that they will go again next year. It, it's usually just before Thanksgiving. It's a couple week long trip. Um, so we're not sure how that will look next year f- for who would be going from here, uh, if anyone will be. Um, so that's something w- that we pray about and look to God to lead in. Uh, Beth and I are have applied and been accepted to go to Kenya for two years uh, with a with a different mission organization to work in a hospital and work in, with a community uh, in the central part of the of the country. Um, and we were able to visit there, and that was really neat. And we we can talk more about that later. And if people have questions, certainly, you know, please ask. We're happy to share. Um, but I, I want to just share a couple thoughts and a few scriptures briefly about about how we are equipped. Um, and this these are a few things that God's been laying on my heart. I've been reading a little bit from Genesis and Exodus, and we all know the story about. Uh, Israelites going into Egypt and spending time there and being persecuted and being worked in slave and in slavery, and how Moses w- grew up in the household of the Pharaoh and then he he fled and then came back again. And as he was going back, um, God told him, He said, He said, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, 
Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. I've read that many times, and it just jumped out at me that, what was this about Israel being his firstborn son? Um, I had never really noticed that before. And Israel, if you're referring to to um, Jacob, he actually wasn't the firstborn, but he got the the, the birthright. And and I'm not a biblical scholar, but it's just interesting that, so he's saying Israel, I'm, I'm thinking it's probably Israel, the people, but that he's referring to, not Israel, the, the person. Um, but he's saying, this is my firstborn son. Well, one of the things that we're seeing as we go to Kenya and we go to Africa is that there are a lot of cultural differences. There are a lot of similar things, needs that people have, but there are also a lot of cultural differences. And one of those has to do with being firstborn or birthright and and how things are passed on. Um, we have a friend who's there who he he's actually from Minnesota and he's been in East Africa for around 20 years. And he had the opportunity this last year, opportunity, privilege, responsibility, however you want to look at it, of negotiating the bride price <laughs> for one of the students uh, at the university. And he said that was really a crazy experience because he, he actually... The negotiation is such that, you know, it's, we're talking about a lot of money for, for, their, for, for those people. And basically what it does when you pay a bride price, you, you don't pay it off. I mean, it's, it's so much money that you're going to be paying it for the rest of your life, basically, and supporting the wife's family. So, so what is this all about? What is, what is the being a firstborn about? What is a bride price all about? Well, it's really about strength. It's about the, the strength and the power or the resources of the family being passed along. And, and a lot of times we look at firstborn being, you know, something that somebody can maintain for themselves. But really, the firstborn be, being passed on um, the, the, the land or whatever it was is something so that they could continue to minister to their family and to their community. It really wasn't intended for themselves. And this is a similar thing that we see in, in the culture there. It's a different, different culture from what we have here, but it's there for a purpose um, to pass along uh, strength. And it's a, an equipping thing. And in John 10, uh, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And I'm reminded about how, you know, most of us are not of Jewish descent. Um, some, some may be, but, but we're, you know, we're grafted into the vine. We're, we're part of the family of God. So even though, in a sense, we're not the firstborn, we're still brought in and brought into, um, into the flock. Um, so, again, I'm reminded about how we are equipped, and we're all equipped. Uh, and in James, it's uh, James chapter 4, um, he writes about uh, asking for things. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And I think that's true. Uh, it's true for, for me. It's true for all of us uh, that we, we easily do that. We ask for things so that, so that we can you know, have a, a different car or a different home or whatever, or a different vacation. Um, but I think that sometimes we even ask for that for spiritual gifts like like peace and joy and and but again it's sometimes we ask for those things so that you know so that I can sleep well at night or so that you know so that I don't I don't have all those worries you know uh, tearing tearing down at me tearing me down 
But I guess what I'm really trying to say is, is that you know, is, uh, God has provided for us. He's taken us into his family. Um, he's provided for us. But these things carry a responsibility. And that's, that's what I've seen here in this, in this church, in this community. And I would just encourage anyone who's uh, considering this further to, to go for it. You know, don't, don't wait. Don't wait for some long preparation or years and years of education or whatever it is. But just have a willing heart and, and look to God and say, you know, where, where can I be used? Um, in First Peter 3, uh, it says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And I think if you can do that, you're ready. Um, God has already equipped you. So, uh, again, thank you so much uh, for, for your prayers and support. And, uh, Erica? Would you all uh, join me as we pray? Father, I thank you so much um, for the willingness of these individuals um, to take a step out, to be your hands and feet, Lord. And I pray that your spirit that stirred in them would stir in others today, to give them the courage, um, to give them the faith to step out, Lord, wherever it is. As Beth said, maybe it's just across the street to a neighbor. Father, I pray um, specifically for Larry and Beth as they prepare for um, their new mission, Lord. I pray that you would bring all the provision that is necessary for them, Lord. That you would give them um, just encouragement and that you would lead them and guide them in every decision that they make. And we pray this as their community, Lord, in your name. Amen. Thank you.